In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, you know very well that you should turn to God in every trouble and that you should pray, praise, and give Him thanks. You know that you should humble yourself under His mighty hand and cast all of your cares and anxieties on Him because He cares for you. You know that you should call upon God in the day of trouble because He will deliver you. And the truth is, very often times we don't. At least not as often as we should. So why don't you turn to Jesus as often as you know you should? And why don't you pray to him as much as he wants to hear you? Why don't you turn to God in all things? And why is it that you don't frequently and fervently pray to God? The answer to this question is found in the gospel lesson for today. In those days, Jesus was preaching and teaching, and there was a massive crowd of over 4,000 people who gathered to hear him, and they had nothing to eat. So Jesus called his disciples, and he said to them, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come from far away. So what did his disciples say? The same disciples who just saw Jesus two chapters ago feed an even greater crowd of 5,000. The same disciples who were in the same exact situation just days and weeks earlier. They said, how is anyone even able to feed these people with bread in such a desolate place? So the text goes on, but I'm going to stop here because you just heard the question to the answer I was asking at the beginning. So the reason you don't pray to God as often as you should is the same exact reason the disciples didn't turn to Jesus when they should have done so today. Because we don't believe that Jesus can or even wants to do anything about the situation. And this is our poor, miserable condition that we trust our own thoughts, our own logic, our own experience and our feelings much more seriously than we consider the word of God. And so just as the disciples looked to their pockets, to the ground, to the, fruit, to the food uh, for a solution to the crowd's hunger, oftentimes we too look at the situation that we're in and conclude that Jesus can't and won't do anything about it. So the first reason we don't pray is because we don't think that God can actually do anything about what we're going through. So we think, look, there's so much to keep in order, so much to, 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 uh, to preserve, to sustain, and to provide for. How could God possibly look after everyone and everything all at once? In fact, there was a, a book written by a Jewish rabbi that tried to answer the question, why do bad things happen to good people? And of course, the question is problematic, but that's for another sermon. Uh, he answers the question by essentially saying this. God is doing the best he can. In other words, God isn't powerful enough to look after everything so naturally as you'd expect. He takes care of some things and then he lets other things slip through the cracks that are not as important or that he can't get to. And somehow this is supposed to comfort those who are suffering. That God was busy doing something else. In fact, some Christians have really struggled with this thought. 
When they consider the magnitude of God's creation and the insignificance of man, they think that God can't possibly hear all of our prayers at once. And many think, look, there's just so much that God needs to take care of, so we have to take care of ourselves. God is worrying about the bigger and better things. My prayer is just a tiny little buzzing in the ear of God that's like an annoying gnat that he wants to swat out of here. In fact, there was a a theologian named Jerome who said this about God. Uh, it's it's a, a bit of a quote, but uh, listen up. It says, It is an absurd detraction of the majesty of God to say that God knows every moment how many gnats are born, how many die, and how many bedbugs, fleas, and flies there are on earth, what number of fishes live in the water. We are not such fatuous psychophants of God that while we make his power concern itself with most insignificant creatures... We are unfair to ourselves by assuming a like providence extending over rational and irrational creatures. In other words, we shouldn't flatter ourselves to think that God cares this much about anything, let alone us. If God gave even a fraction of his attention to the insects and the birds, then he wouldn't possibly have the time or the ability to care for you. And to be honest, although Jerome here is wrong... He's only putting into words what we oftentimes think in our hearts. When we look at everything in the world, we don't really think that God can take care of it all. We don't think that Jesus can actually help us like the disciples did. And for this reason, we don't pray to him because we don't think that anything is actually going to happen or that he's actually going to listen. That if God were so involved in his creation, then this would be too heavy of a burden for him. And now the second reason we don't pray as often as we should is not because, well, is because we think that even if God could do something, we don't believe he would actually want to. And this is what King David the psalmist writes. When he observes the immensity of creation, the work of God's fingers, he sees how small and insignificant man is. He looks to the heavens. He observes the moon and the stars. He sees the utter vastness of creation, planets that float millions of light years away, the stars that burn in the sky, the constellations that form each and every night. He sees all of these things, and then he says, What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you would even care? And this thought really hits home when you not only realize your littleness in comparison with all of creation, but when you realize the sheer magnitude of your sin and how much more insignificant that makes you. The unworthiness is magnified when you see the enormity of your sin. When you feel your sin, your guilt, your wickedness, and your evil heart, you think even if God could care for everything in this universe from the smallest atom to the largest planet, from the newborn infant to the oldest human being, why on earth would he even care for me, a worm? Why would he concern himself with me? Why would he actually listen to my prayers when I fail to pray to him? So much. Why would he be good to me when I let him down so often? Why would he care about me when there have been so many times in my life that I haven't given uh, any care about him and his word? Why would he even want to be bothered by my pleas for help when I haven't even bothered to keep his commandments? So when we consider all of these things, we stop praying because we don't really trust God anymore. 
We don't trust that he can do anything, and we don't believe he even wants to. We pray, and we don't see any change, and so we think God is not listening. We look around the world, and we see catastrophe and strife, and we think that God has completely forgotten us. We can't feel him. We can't experience him. And so we think that he's not around. When we consider all of these things, we think that God can't possibly love us or care for us enough to do a thing about what we're suffering, no matter what that might be. We look around and can't even imagine an end to our suffering or a solution to our emptiness, so we just stop praying altogether. And it just seems like Jesus is no longer willing or capable or even interested in loving you anymore. And there will be moments when the devil will try with all of his might to take away from you what Christ has given you. There will be times, and indeed some of you are facing those times right now, when the devil will attempt to destroy your faith, to destroy your soul by whispering in your ear that it's not even worth opening your mouth to pray anymore, that it's not even worth opening your mouth to confess your sins anymore. That it's not even worth the time or the energy it takes to kneel before this altar to open your mouth, repent of your sins, and feast on the bread of heaven that God gives you here today. Because as far as you're concerned, there's no possible way that any of this can do a thing about what you're facing. And when this happens, remember the gospel lesson for today. Remember that Jesus came not only to show you that he is God, but also to show you what kind of God he is. Remember that he took bread and broke it and fed over 4,000 people simply because he had compassion. He's not only great and mighty and powerful, he is the God who is moved to have compassion on the crowds because of their hunger because of their stomachs. While he guides and cares for the stars and the planets, he is the God who is moved by the most mundane pain in your stomach, the daily and common pangs of hunger that you experience each and every day. And he has compassion, and he's moved by this. If God who rules the universe cares so much about this daily, little, annoying pain in your gut that you experience on a constant basis... Do you think he won't care about the great pains and ills and disease and sickness of your flesh? And do you think he's forgotten about you in those times? And if he has so much compassion for your body with this short temporal pain, this brief momentary uh, time of affliction, how much more is he moved at the thought of the pain of your sin and death and condemnation? If Christ is moved to have compassion on you because you're hungry, Do you think he won't have compassion on you for everything else in your life and ultimately for your eternal life? You see, this is the great compassion that Christ has on sinners that moved him to leave his throne in heaven, to come down to this guilty earth in the midst of our sin and our wickedness. He not only could help us, but he has. It's this great compassion of God that moved him to not only give bread from heaven, but to become the bread of life and give eternal life through his flesh and blood. His goodness is that he is deeply compassionate towards you and me, sinful mortals. 
that he's anxious to restore us to eternal life with him. His goodness is that even though you don't deserve for him to even look at you, to to think of you, or even be mindful of you, to even think about you or even care, he has numbered the very hairs on your head and he has called you his own. He gives you a love that no one else deserves, a love that... that, Uh, He gives you the very breath in his lungs, the blood in his veins, the tears in his eyes to make you his forever. God has compassion on you and he even hears the grumbling of your stomach. In your baptism, Christ showed you and all of us that this will always be the case. Because you have received this promise of Christ, because you have received his righteousness, because you have been made a child of God through his death and resurrection, then there will never be a situation or a moment when Christ cannot satisfy you with his compassion. There will never be a moment when Christ cannot feed you with his salvation. So no matter how great your sins have been, no matter how immense the, the, the weight is of your guilt, no matter how small and tiny your broken and sorrowful voice cries out for Jesus to have mercy on you and forgive you and give you peace, He will always do for you what He does for those who sit, what He does for those also who sit beside you today. He will always hear you and take care of you. He will always care. He will always love you. He will always feed you with the same forgiveness he won on the cross. The same forgiveness that he bathed you in when you were an infant. The same forgiveness he gives to you right now in this second. When the day comes that I can't take care of you anymore. When you can't take care of me. When you can't take care of yourself. When no one else can take care of you. Jesus will. When you don't have the means to take care of yourself, when you can't possibly see how you will make it through what you're enduring, Jesus will take care of you. And he knows how best to take care of you and have compassion on you, even if it means taking you from this veil of tears to be with him forever. Your sickness, your hunger and thirst, your tears, your broken heart, your worries, your anxiety, your fears, your depression, your angst, your loneliness, your faithlessness, your bitterness, your sadness, the mountain of your sins, the emptiness of your soul, even your death itself is no match for the compassion of your dear Lord who has come to save you. Today he comes to fill you with the eternal life that you hunger for so much. To fill you with the love that you've sought so often. To fill your eyes with hope. And to answer all of your prayers and give you life forever. So no matter what is in front of you, don't stop crying out to Jesus. Don't stop praying. Just because you feel alone or because you continue to suffer. He hasn't abandoned you and he never will. Don't think that what you're suffering and whatever situation you're in is too insignificant or too small or too beneath God to even care about. Don't think that he doesn't see the tears rolling down your face at night. 
Don't think that he doesn't see the drops of sweat that form on your brow. Don't think that he doesn't care about the anxiety, the worry, or the knot in your stomach that you have about your sin, your life, your guilt, and your poor, miserable condition. Don't think that the God of the universe is too busy for a second to listen and care for you. He's not. The God who created the heavens and the earth desires nothing more on earth or heaven than you. So he hears you. Like a mother who is moved to feed her hungry infant at night. That's how God is moved to attend your every need. He loves you. And he absolutely adores you. When God looks at you, his eyes are filled with love because you're his beloved child. So nothing in your life is too insignificant or small or inconvenient for him. The very hairs on your head are numbered. So don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink, because in him you live and move and have your being. So keep on praying, because all things work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. Hear the words of the hymn we just sang. We sought the Lord in our distress, O God, in mercy, hear us. Our Savior saw our helplessness and came with peace to cheer us. For this we thank and praise the Lord who is by one and all adored. To God, all praise and glory. He never shall forsake his flock, his chosen generation. He is their refuge and their rock, their peace and their salvation. As with a mother's tender hand, he leads his own, his chosen band. To God, all praise and glory. All who confess Christ's holy name, give God the praise and glory. Let all who know his power proclaim aloud the wondrous story. Cast every idol from its throne, for God is God, and he alone. To God, all praise and glory. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Thank you.